talk about this morning is this one from 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 to 10 and he's entitled this The Community of Faith. Oops. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I don't know how many times I've read this passage, heard it preached on, but as you know what happens, you come to God's word and it comes fresh to you. And the words that really struck me this time, they're underlined in the second, ver- in the second line. We are living stones. Now, Peter is referring back to the picture of the temple, that beautiful temple in Jerusalem. And that was a great building of of stonework. And he's saying, now we don't need the temple any longer. That's gone since Jesus has given his life on the cross and and, uh, been resurrected again. Then we no longer need that temple. We are now the temple of God. We are the living temple of God. We are the living stones. And I had this picture of the living stones being built together in a living temple. Now, I don't know if you can see that very well by the light of day. That's a little stone church near Bing, which is in um, the Orange District in central New South Wales. But when I looked at that picture on the internet, you can see each stone clearly. All the stones are joined together, but they're not all the same. They're different shapes and sizes and when you get up towards the top there you'll see that again they've been cut specially just to fit in that particular shape and likewise the stones around the windows and so on. But each particular stone is joined together. They're not just a bunch of any old stones. They have been put together in such a way that they support each other and they link in with each other. And I saw that picture of the church. It's a real shame that we tend to call a church a building because this building is only where Blackheath Baptist Church meets. We are the temple, we are the church, we are the living stones built into Blackheath Baptist Church 
And the stones are built in such a way that you've got the stones on the bottom that support the stones that rise above them. And the ones that are up the top look to the ones at the bottom for the support. And you've got each stone joined to the one next to it. And when the masons were putting the stones together and cementing them in together, they didn't ask each individual stone, are you happy being next to this one? They chose the stones that they thought would go well together and they put them there. And because God is the builder, that is precisely what he does with us. He doesn't say, do you like the person sitting next to you in church? Well, we are put together by God himself into this living building, which is the church. Now, there are a lot of people around, but they don't like the church. They're Christians and they'll talk about, oh, it's fine with Jesus and me, but they don't like the people who are in the church and so they've taken themselves out of the church. Now, unfortunately, if you take the stones away from a building like that and you just leave them as individual stones, that's what you get, a pile of rubble. And that might not please some people who don't like the organised church and like to think of themselves as individual Christians, but that's a fact. Each one of those stones is a good stone. There's nothing wrong with any of the stones in that pile, but they don't connect to make anything. They've got the potential, but they do not connect to make anything. And so what today we're looking at is the importance of the church as a community of faith in this whole series of Love in Action. Now that's all the preaching I intend to do. I'm going to tell you a story. I'll go back to this previous picture because it's a little bit more encouraging. I want to tell you about a friend of mine named Ellen. Ellen and I have been friends for about 25 years and she's been very much on my mind lately and I'll tell you why when we get to that part of the story. Ellen's a New Zealander and she's the eldest of several children and she's the eldest by quite some years. There's quite a, a gap in age between Ellen and the youngest ones in the family and indeed the younger children in the family didn't know her very much at all in their early days because she left home at 17 to go to teachers college in New Zealand and from there she went to teach in various schools. After a little while she felt God calling her into missionary work so she went to Bible college and from there she went to teach in a mission school in the Pacific, I think Fiji but I'm not 100% sure. After teaching there for a while, God called her into further missionary service with a mission organisation called in those days Gospel Recordings. Now we support that mission under its current name of Global Recordings Network and God called Ellen to go to Indonesia and she had a lovely time in Indonesia. Now what she did was to supervise the recording into different local Indonesian languages of gospel messages and she then distributed cassette players and she, and she oversaw the distribution of uh, thousands of cassettes with the gospel message in the local language and she rode around the islands, the islands of Indonesia. She supervised the work. It just suited her 
school teaching, although she wasn't teaching much except in local churches, teaching and supporting people, that work really suited her. But come the end of the 1980s and there was a change in gospel recordings as there was in many missions. Instead of Westerners going overseas to third world countries and doing all the work, those countries were encouraged to find recordists themselves to set up local boards and to find their own chairman and administrators and set up their own local offices. And that happened in Indonesia and it was the right thing to do of course but it meant that Ellen's work became redundant. So she came back to Sydney. Now Sydney rather than New Zealand although that was her home because Sydney is where the offices and the factory for gospel recordings but we'll call it by its current name Global Recordings Network are for this side of the world. There's one lot in Sydney and another lot in America. So she came to work in the Sydney offices and factory. Well what was she going to do? They made a special job for her as a secretary. But now I know from experience, if your gifting is in teaching, it's not in administration and taking minutes and doing all the organising and stuff that a secretary does. They're different giftings. And she was not happy. And this was the time when Eric... Uh, became friendly with her because he was chairman of the board and he looked after the missionaries who were working in Sydney and he could see her dissatisfaction. So that job came to an end and they tried her instead in the recording studio. But the recording studio requires a technical skill that Ellen didn't have. So she was still if not more, unhappy, although she was very conscientious in continuing to work there and doing the very best she could. And that's when I got to know her because Eric enlisted my help in seeing what we could do to just support her, give her some friendly emotional moral support even if we couldn't solve the problems. Now I'm talking about the community of faith, the importance of the church and Ellen's story all through shows the importance of belonging to a local church. Now, Ellen grew up in a denomination which I won't name, but she considered it a very conservative denomination and certainly one in which women were not encouraged. And when she came back to Sydney, she realised, she started going to one of those churches and she suddenly thought, I don't have to do this, I'm not at home, um, I can choose any church I want to. And living in Castle Hill, she went to the local Baptist church and she felt supported and encouraged. She joined in the worship there and the life of the church and that was a real encouragement to her. And also she went to another church sometimes at night, um, an even freer church in its form of worship and the way it operated and she felt really well fed and supported by those churches. Now after doing this for a little while, she got word from New Zealand that her sister Margaret had a brain tumour and was dying and there was a need for somebody to nurse her. Now Margaret lived in Christchurch and there was a further complication because their mother lived with Margaret. Mrs Bay 
was an independent lady, well advanced in years, but she didn't need 24-7 care. She just needed somebody around to help to give her a little bit extra care when it was needed. And so she lived with Margaret. They shared a house quite happily in Christchurch. The rest of the family lived up north in Blenheim, in the north of the South Island or in Wellington. And they were all busy with their work and families. It was obvious that Ellen was the one to go to Christchurch and care for her sister Margaret and also their mother. So Ellen packed herself up and took leave of um, Global Recordings and went to Christchurch. Now as difficult as her life had been in Sydney, it got worse. Margaret, because of the nature of that tumour or because of the treatment or both, underwent a change of personality. She became paranoid and very suspicious. She did not want Ellen looking after her. She didn't want Ellen in the house, but there wasn't anything else that could be done. Ellen was the one to be in the house and look after her. And it was a terrible situation, not only just watching your sister die, but having all of this suspicion heaped on you and also helping their mother who was watching her child die. doesn't matter what age the child is, the mother always feels it because you always feel the younger generation shouldn't go before you. Ellen's life was extremely difficult. But then in due course, her sister died. Now she was left in the house with her mother, that was fine, the two of them got on well and they were recovering from the stresses and strains of the last few months when Mrs Bay decided that she needed a holiday. Now she did, I mean she'd just gone through a very difficult time and so she decided she would go up to Blenheim where the rest of the family were, either there or in Wellington, in Wellington not very far away, and she'd have a holiday up there and she would see her other children because with all of that uh, emphasis on Margaret, she hadn't seen her other children for a while. So she went up to Blenheim and while she was there, she had a good look around the town. Blenheim is a lovely town. It's very well resourced. It's in the wine-growing Marlborough area. And there is very good aged care there. So while she was there, Mrs Bay saw that there was a lovely unit available, an independent unit, but it was in um, an aged care facility where there was further nursing care if she needed it. There was support for her. She never went back to Christchurch. She just moved into that aged care unit where she was very happy. Ellen was happy for her. But now what, what on earth was Ellen going to do stuck in Christchurch? There was no future in thinking of going back to Sydney because there was no job for her that suited her in Global Recordings Network. And in her mid to late 50s, who was going to employ her? Even though she'd been a teacher, she hadn't taught in New Zealand schools for 30 years. And 20 years ago, the employment situation for people at fast approaching 60 was much the same as it is now, almost nil. And Ellen sank into a deep depression. Uh, a friend of mine and I went across to stay with her for a couple of weeks because we were so concerned about her. We could see from our communication with her just how bad things were for her. 
Now, up to this point, she can't have taken leave from mission work, but now she'd come to this crisis point. There was obviously no missionary work for her to do. She would have to go and find some other work, stacking shelves at night in coals or goodness knows what. And so she had said thank you to all the people who had supported her financially over the years, but now that she was no longer a missionary, she couldn't accept their support. She went to visit one group of ladies and I don't know whether it was from the one church or a group of local churches from the denomination from which Ellen felt she had escaped. These ladies had supported her faithfully the whole time of her missionary service and she went to say to them, thank you so much for your support but I can no longer continue to receive it. But she got a very surprising Um, result with those ladies instead of saying well all right we will cease our support they were adamant they said no no we will go on continuing to support you we know that you're in a difficult situation at the moment but we believe God hasn't put you on the shelf he still has work for you to do our support will continue now That group from that community of faith, that support, not just the financial support but the fact that those people believed in Ellen was the greatest encouragement to her at a time when her spirits were so low. Now not very far from where she was living in Christchurch there was a Baptist church reminded me very much of this one except it was a big church and very interestingly they start their morning services exactly the way we started this morning nobody got up and said welcome they just went straight into their first song I thought that was a great thing to do actually it was just funny that this morning he did exactly the same thing lovely church a big church so it takes a while to form friendships in a big church but there was one group in the church that Ellen had really connected with every week a group of ladies met to pray for missions and of course Ellen went to that group and shared with them her story of missionary work in Indonesia and so on As they were leaving that group one day, one of the women said to her, almost in a throwaway line, I guess you speak Indonesian fluently. Now Ellen did, after about 20 years in Indonesia, she spoke and wrote and read Indonesian fluently. And this lady said to her, there are two missionaries who have written Sunday school lessons in Indonesian and they want them translated into English. Now I'll tell you all about that in a minute. They're looking for somebody to translate them into English. Are you interested? Now there was no flash of light for Ellen or anything. In fact, she wasn't all that madly interested, but she thought, oh well, that's something I can, I can do. That'll occupy a couple of hours. So she emailed the people and got back one of these Sunday school lessons. Now when you're translating from one language to another, You translate it in, if we're translating it into English, you write the English words and then you look at them and you think, ah, I can do better there and that sentence needs restructuring and I'm sure that there's a a better phrase in English to translate that one out of, and and you polish it and you repolish it and you go over and you go over it. Now when Ellen sat down to translate this Sunday school lesson, she didn't do that, she just kind of dashed off an English translation emailed it off and thought oh well that's that a little while later 
she had an email back. Now these two missionaries said to her, we have asked many, many people to translate into English. Yours is the best translation we have met. If you are willing, we would like you to take on the job of translating these Sunday school lessons from Indonesian into English. Now, that all sounds good, doesn't it? Now, let me tell you about these missionaries. Look, it took three conversations with Ellen before I got my head around it, so if you don't quite grasp it all, I won't be surprised. But these two women had obviously been teachers in Indonesia for many years, and because there was a lack of Sunday school material, simple Sunday school material, not stuff related to American culture or, or needing lots of resources, they put together these simple Sunday school using simple resources. The two women had retired but they couldn't face the thought of a German winter. They were German missionaries, couldn't face the thought of winter in Europe. So instead of retiring to Europe, they retired to Hong Kong in the days when Hong Kong was still a British protectorate. Um, and a lot of missionaries are like that. If they've lived in a tropical climate, they don't want to retire to a cold place like this. You won't have too many missionaries from Papua New Guinea retiring to Blackheath, let me tell you. But these two women were living in Hong Kong. Now, they hadn't just prepared a few Sunday school lessons. They had written eight years' worth of Sunday school lessons. And if you multiply eight by 50 weeks, you come to four hundred lessons to be translated and the reason they wanted them translated was because living in Hong Kong they were next door to China and at that stage the Chinese education system was looking for simple English textbooks that they could use to teach Chinese children English and it didn't matter that these were Christian it would meet the criterion because they were simple but they not only had to be translated into English, they had to be prepared for publication. 400 lessons, that is the most enormous job you could ever envisage. Anyhow, Ellen took it on. Here she was, never mind she was not on the shelf, God hadn't forgotten her. You talk about missionary work, she had more missionary work than you can get your head around. So... She decided she didn't have to go and live in Hong Kong. She would spend, they said, spend periods of time in Hong Kong because that work is so intense you need a little break every now and again. And she decided the best thing to do was to go and live in Blenheim. She would then see the rest of her family and particularly her mother. It would be lovely because her mother was by now quite an elderly lady and she thought, well, she hadn't seen her mother much in all those years she'd done missionary work, so it would be nice to be living in the same town. So she moved herself up to Blenheim. Now, another bit about the community of faith and this is one of those moments I had a conversation with her because this all happened while, while um, I was visiting her or, or she'd come to Australia, I can't remember, but she said, heaving a great sigh, well, my mother will want to go to church with me and she said, I suppose I will have to go back 
to my old denomination from which he'd escaped. She said, I suppose it won't kill me to go to one of those churches in Blenheim with my mother. Now that was one of those moments where I'm quite sure God said to any angels who weren't on duty at that moment, hey fellas, do you want to come and see something funny? Come and have a look at this. Because she had no idea what was awaiting her in Blenheim. So she moved herself to Blenheim in between visits to and from Hong Kong took herself with this great sigh of resignation to this particular church with her mother. In that church was a widower named Malcolm, a few years older than Ellen. He was the same age as me. And he took a great interest in both Ellen herself and the work that she was doing. And the next time I saw her, she was wearing an engagement ring. And at age 60, she came down the aisle of that church as a bride and married Malcolm. Now, not only did she have the loving support of her husband and they had the happiest, most fulfilling marriage, but... Malcolm had gifts with computing and he could support Ellen in the work she was doing. In fact, the two of them went into this work together. He undertook all the travel arrangements, did all of that. She didn't have to worry about any of that. She didn't have to worry about finances. All of that was taken care of. Not only that, he had a knowledge of computing, so all of that fiddly stuff to get it onto the computer, he oversaw all of that and from where I stand, this is the most extraordinary thing, he proofread every word she wrote. Now, if you've ever done any proofreading, it is the most horrendous job because your eye automatically will correct for you what you're reading. It is very, very difficult to pick up every little typo, every little tiny mistake. But he also looked at the English for her, very meticulous, conscientious person, exactly the right companion for Ellen in her work in doing that translation. Isn't it important to be part of a community of faith, even if you're not sure it's the right community? Putting those stones together, as God does, the living stones, how we support each other and work together and what God does for us within churches. And so I guess they spent about five years doing all of this. The two women oversaw the publication of those lessons in English and I don't know what happened to them in China, but Ellen's a teacher. And it occurred to her when these books were printed, here were simple Sunday school lessons that could be used anywhere in the Pacific 
because they were written in Indonesia, they were written simply in simple English for people whose second language was English. They had all the resources necessary, all the teaching aids, all the ideas for activities for the children. Complete package of Sunday school literature for anyone in the Pacific who would like to use them. So once the translation was finished, what did Malcolm and Ellen do? They spent the next 10 years at least once or twice a year going to different countries in the Pacific, not only just showing this literature but training teachers. There was Ellen's teaching skills being used as she was training teachers. Now I've said to you that she's been very much on my mind in these last few weeks and I'll tell you why. This year's trip was to Fiji. They were in Fiji in July and I think if I, from the way I understood her email, one of the groups of teachers that she was training with this material were deaf teachers in Fiji. But she was certainly training Sunday school teachers to use this material. Malcolm had had his 81st birthday and he complained one Saturday of feeling a little bit unwell, not, not terribly ill but just a bit unwell. Within 24 hours, just suddenly, he had a heart attack and went to be with the Lord. And so they had the funeral three weeks ago. Ellen is now back in New Zealand and I've been praying for her this morning. I know that their church service will have finished because they're ahead of us in time. But I was praying for her in the early morning, going to church without Malcolm. I don't know what the future holds for Ellen. All I know is that God will look after her in the future as he has in the past and that he will continue to use the community of faith to support her particularly at this time and that she will find purpose and direction for her life but she's going to find it within the church. It's so important for us not just to receive from other people within our community of faith but to give. We all want to be part of the building of those walls that supports the ones above us and joins with the ones beside us. That community of faith is so important. And this morning, because we're celebrating communion, I'm so grateful that this is the morning when we are having communion because the thing about communion is while this may be one of the times in your life when you have the closest fellowship and association with God, it's one through communion services when I look back in my life, communion services have been some of the times when God has spoken so clearly to me but communion is never just God and me. Communion is always within the community of faith. We all take the communion together and that's a very important thing that we remember individually Jesus' death and resurrection for us but we remember also that's what brings us together as the community of faith. We're not just a group of people with a common interest like a bowling club or a golf club. 
we're here because we're redeemed through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's his Holy Spirit who builds us together, who cements the stones, the living stones together into the community of faith. So as we come to communion this morning, let's do so as his people. I wonder if the stewards would come forward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to the table again, so we remember, we look back to that time when Jesus gave his life and rose again from the dead because you loved us so much. We say thank you, Father. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you will bless these elements for our use. As we eat the bread, as we drink the wine, so, Father, may we come close to you. But may we also remember that we are in communion with each other as well as with you. So, Father, bless us as we take our communion this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. We invite everyone to participate, whether you belong to this church or not doesn't matter.